0: And welcome back in Stripe Show podcast. We're into 2021. The PGA Tour is uh, in back in swing in Hawaii. And the uh, Tournament of Champions, of course, Century Tournament of Champions at uh, beautiful Kapaloo will happen this week. And then the following week, they'll head over to Sony. And uh, one of the guys that's in the field this week is, uh, is improving, coming off a uh, his second win on the PGA tour and uh, working with this, uh, this man here next to me in the screen, one of the top teachers uh, in the game, golf digest top 50, you know him as at radar golf pro course Kings is his online platform where you can go and learn from him and some of the top teachers in the game, Jeff Smith, Jeff, thanks for joining me here on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Travis. No Hawaii. I mean, I, I see the backdrop there. Is you going to open that up, and I'm going to see this beautiful ocean? Where are you? No, unfortunately, I'm in Vegas, where it's just a little bit colder right now than, than Hawaii. Yeah, a little bit colder here in Ponte Vedra. It, uh, we had a little frost, actually, um, this morning. And this this time of year, you know, it's – I love this time of year when you turn on the TV, and there's those that beautiful golf course, unbelievable views of the ocean, Kapalua – It's not the kickoff of golf because we're in winter, right? In the United States. But I can remember growing Mm -hmm. up in Northern Idaho. Like I really look forward to this tournament to see this golf course. How about you?
1: Yeah, you know, I I watched it on TV for years and years and years. And then I made my first trip there two years ago. Mm. And uh, it wasn't what I thought it was. Like I had no idea what the golf course would be like and um, how kind of secluded it was. But it was... Uh, it was incredibly windy. That's mm-hmm. the thing I remember from it. I mean, every single day you didn't even really want to practice because you're hitting balls in like 30 mile an hour gusts. And uh, it was incredibly windy. Obviously it's beautiful. It's picturesque it's, mm-hmm. it's ocean everywhere you look. And it's, it's an incredible place to be.
0: And, and, you know, I mean, come on, you're in Maui. So like, how bad can it be? Right. I talked to Mark Rolfing yesterday, some on, on the podcast <clears> and of course he's been in Hawaii for 40 years and, he brought up some good points. He says, you know, this is a huge property, number one. And he says, number two, of course, you got the win. You got to manage that. He says, number three, you're always aiming away from where you want the ball to end up. Probably more yeah. so there than most courses on the PGA Tour. He says, like the uneven lies, right? You really have got to manage those situations there. There's a lot of things that kind of happen here in this course that, yeah, you'll get a little bit elsewhere, but... You're kind of really getting all of those things here at Kapalua, right? I mean, it's just,
1: you know, the best way to describe it is it's, it's just a natural lay of the land. Like, mm. you're not going to have an even lie anywhere. You're, you're going to be uneven, you know, in the middle of the fairway. When you miss the green, you're going to have a ball above your feet or below your feet chipping. And you're chipping onto a big, slopey green with tons of movement in it. It's just constant movement throughout yeah. the whole golf course.
0: Well, you've got, uh, you've got some players heading into 2021. Um, you're out there on tour a lot. I'm sure you'll be getting out there soon as they, they get back to the mainland. But uh, Patrick Rogers is one of them. Aaron Wise, I want to ask you about him later in the show. But you just started with Victor Hovland, who just picked up his second win. And, uh, you know, Victor, when he came to you, originally, as I was looking at it, and of course, I follow you and, and, and we're friends, I thought it was more in the realm of full swing. But it sounds like you guys have really worked on everything. You kind of really taken the reins of the short game um, and the putting. But before we get to that, how, how did your guys' relationship start?
1: Yeah, so I, I've known Victor for um, over a year now. Uh, we had some common friends together, and he was out in Vegas making a trip uh, one time just to come out and play some golf and see some of those guys. And he was curious about his putting. And uh, he had, he wanted me to to measure him on Sam on Putt Lab. So my first kind of interaction with him was just kind of measuring him in his putting and giving him some um, some clarity around what he was doing with his putting stroke and, and, and that. And so, you know, several months goes by and then, you know, he he's doing some work on his full swing and he's seeing some different coaches and kind of getting some different opinions and thoughts of what he, what direction he wanted to move into. And that led him kind of circling back to me because of the, I guess because of the previous relationship we had and, and so that's kind of, That's how it kind of started. He called me up, and said, "Hey, can I send you some swings? I want you to take a look at them." And and uh, that was right before the playoffs began last last fall or this past fall. And, uh, and it just kind of started from there. And I think uh, I think yeah, in the beginning, he was looking for some direction in his full swing. And um, you know, so I met with him. We did some work together. Kind of gave me an opportunity to get familiar with how he moves and what he does in his swing and. For me, it became more like, "Man, you have got it figured out already." Like we gotta, we gotta preserve what you're doing here. There were a couple of little small technical things that we worked on um, in backswing related. Uh, Victor had a tendency to move his upper body too far off and behind the ball, and he would get a little bit trapped and stuck behind it. And then from there, his contact would be not so great. He had a he had a hard time hitting the ball low. With shorter irons and then he would also work into a a bad pattern of his path kicking a little bit out to the right mm. and he likes to fade, fade the ball pretty exclusively so there would be times where he would be like I'm, I'm having a hard time hitting my cut what's going on you know and so we cleaned up we cleaned up that in his backswing um and then from there we did some work on speed so mm. there was a bit of a process that we went through to do that as well
0: I want to get to speed in a second, but it's interesting. Like you you said, man, you got a lot of this figured out. He comes to you, his stats last year off the tee stroke scan. He's 18th stroke scan approach, uh, 7th tee to green 20th. And you're looking at it like, dang, you got, I mean, <laughs> you got, you got a lot of good things going already, but, but the subtleties of it's always, it always comes down to that miss, right? Like when the players, yeah. I, I have this miss and I don't like it and, and I want to go yeah. and I, and I need to get it going the other way. And for you, as you mentioned, you, he's kind of moving off the ball a little bit and then kind of works under it and the path gets going to the right and he can't hit his cut. So it always comes down to the, a lot of times these players is what's the miss and then kind of working away from it. But the aspect of speed, I want to ask you, I mean, speed is, it's it's the word, right? I mean, Bryson has, you know, changed the game to to some degree. I mean, he's put on 40 pounds. He's hitting it through the stratosphere, Um We see guys reacting to that to some degree and Victor going after a little bit more speed. Can you, can you share with us maybe, you know, one or two things and I see him swinging the speed sticks a lot, you know, where he's, I've seen a couple videos of him, you know, really swinging these speed sticks as hard as he can. But if you could share with us one or two things where maybe you're kind of going after some gains from the club head speed department.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, to talk first about the physical, you know, training side of it, Yes, you, you know, things like the super speed sticks play a, play a huge role. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to swing fast, you have to not only be able to move your body fast, but neurologically you have to make some changes as well. Um, you have to think fast. If you want to be fast, you have to, um, I call it, you know, you have to sort of prime your body to be able to move fast. And that, that starts you know, that starts neurologically, that's getting everything to fire just a little bit quicker. So there's a, there's a bit of a ramp up um, neurologically. I like to call it if, you know, when you, when you're trying to swing fast, that happens in the gym. Um, that happens in your practice swings. Um, it happens on on the, on the tee box, you know, the whole nine yards, but from a mechanic standpoint with Victor. So we've basically done two things that have allowed him to, you know, when I started working with him the first day I measured him, he was 115 miles an hour and at about 170 ball speed, maybe at 171 ball speed. And now he's comfortably 120, you know, 100 over 180 ball speed, you know, pretty routinely. And I think he still, you know, might tone it back a little bit in competition. I've, I've looked at some of his shot link data and, you know, it's in the mid 170s, and that's pretty natural. But the idea is to keep pushing it in practice to where you're comfortable swinging that fast, you know, on, in competition. But from a technique standpoint, um, the, the two things that we've done first, equipment-wise, is Victor was playing a driver well short of industry standard. I believe his driver length was 44 and a half inches long when we mm-hmm. first started. <clears throat> so we went through with Ping. We went through a testing protocol at a tournament to where we had them build several drivers of different lengths. And the idea was we were going to continue to push the length of the driver until the speed stopped going up, essentially. Hmm. Um, Because Victor hits it incredibly straight. Um, Straight, straight driver of the golf ball. So, you know, I knew that there there was a lot of room to give up in terms of accuracy if we could gain ball speed. And, you know, so we started, we went to 45 and then we went to 45 and a half, 46, jumped to 47, and I think forty-seven was the highest length driver that we um that we uh we we tested. And the interesting thing about it was his dispersion did not start did not scatter. Mm. I mean, he could hit it further and further with the longer club. The only <clears throat> the interesting thing was there was a link threshold to where he did not swing it any faster. So when we got to about right around forty six, mm or 46 and a half, I think he was not able to swing it any faster than he was swinging 47. So, uh, I think where we ended up is he's playing a 45 and three quarter inch, uh, driver. Don't quote me on that. Cause this kid's liable to change it in the middle of the week. He's <laughs> he's a bit of a tinkerer. So, um, I think he's playing just short of 46 inches mm-hmm. and has been since, um, I think Houston. So, you know, we went all the way up as far as we could go in terms of shaft length and kind of settled back down to where he was swinging that as as fast as he essentially could. And so um, as his body changes and he gets used to swinging, getting a little bit stronger, it may kind of go up again mm-hmm. in length. But, the you know, the, the buffer will always be, you know, maintaining the driving accuracy that makes him the yeah. elite player that he is. You know, for him to be able to finish, I think you said top – Fifteen or something in strokes gained off the tee last year. Eighteenth. Eighteenth. Okay, with only 171 ball speed, that means you're hitting virtually every fairway. Yep. And you know, when you go play some of these other courses, you know, you play big major championships, you're not going to be able to hit that many fairways. Yep. So you know, the, the model that Bryson used in the U.S. Open of just bomb it down there as far as you can, and you're going to play from the rough because everyone's going to play from the rough. <laughs> that's when the length really starts to take hold, you know, on the West coast, a course, like Torrey Pines, that's the situation where you got to have that link. Um, so a lot of the bigger, you know, more championship style golf courses is when you're going to see that link advantage really kind of kick in.
0: Yeah. It's, I I talked to his college coach, Alan Bratt, and I did this event out in Arizona and he was there, um, with Austin Neckrote and he told the story about in the U S amateur, just the show that Victor put on with his driver. Like he said, it was just ridiculous how straight he hit it um, on holes that other people are hitting, you know, a driving iron. He's just taking his driver out and just busting it right down the middle of the fairway and just not thinking twice. I mean, he said it was just um, incredible before we be, I want to, I want to build on this speed discussion for the amateurs here in a second. But when you, so when you look at Victor, and and of course what you guys are doing in the swing and adding the speed that's going to be huge for him i mean if he if he comes out and he's got another 10 yards right 12 yards mm-hmm. off the tee as straight as he is i mean that is that's huge for a player like yeah. for like victor hoblin but you look at him statistically i mean it's well known and he even admitted it he he cuz i'm a bad chipper of the golf ball you know when he won um, back in Mayakoba, I believe. And, and mm-hmm. you know, he kind of flubbed the chip and his strokes gained around the green, 168. But that's something now, just recently, you guys have, have started to to work on as well. And you've mm-hmm. kind of blown that up, changed some of the techniques, <clears throat> his patterns. If if you can share with us a couple things there.
1: Yeah, first of all, I'd say it's a work in progress. It's not anywhere near where we, where we wanted to be yet, but... Um the easiest excuse me, the easiest way to describe it is the things that make him an elite ball striker are the things that hinder him in a short game. So obviously in, 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 in the full swing we're trying to speed the ball up as fast as we can and in the short game we're trying to slow it down. And so the techniques that are used um to do those two things are quite dramatically different. And so, you know, his swing characteristics are pretty famous. I've seen his swing on Instagram a million times. So nope. You know, he has a lot of lead wrist flexion early in his backswing and his full swing, and that is just generally a pattern that players will carry into their into their short game and, and sometimes even into their putting. So um, in his case, in his short game, a lot of lead wrist flexion early, got the club head low to the inside with the face very, very close, so there was not very much loft on the club, and, of course, there is virtually no bounce. And because of the the positioning of the club being so low down and back behind him, that made him incredibly shallow in the ball, into the ball. So in an effort to not hit the ground before the ball, he really had to pull the handle of the club around his body, which produced more shaft lane, less dynamic loft, less use of the bounce. So, Mm -hmm. you know, his, he, he got by with it all these years because, um, to be quite honest, you can hit low running shots doing that, and he's so gifted with his hands in terms of feel and distance control that you know he's been able to to get by and make that work. But I think where you know we're it, it kind of opened his eyes to it was getting on some of these tour co- courses.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, a place like Sawgrass where you miss a par five left there, and you've got a tight sort of grainy lie where it, the green's elevated, you got to pitch the ball and slow it down that was those were shots that he just didn't have in his repertoire so he he would default to the I'm going to just bump it into the slope yeah. bang it into the hill let it bounce up type of technique and sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't but you know when you when you're looking at a player like him and you're saying man how do I find like a half a shot to make this kid better well i mean that's that's instantaneously it right there oh, because yeah. he's not going to miss very many greens anyways right so when he does miss a green you know, it's it's generally gonna, it's a lot of times going to be in a short sighted scenario um, because he's so aggressive into the into the hole locations that you know if he can elevate the ball and slow it down, or more importantly, if he can lower his par five scoring average because he's able to get a few more of those balls up and down around around the par fives, then that's where you're going to see the true benefit of the of the technique work that he's changing. Again, like I said, it's in a work it's a work in progress. It's not there yet. I've yep. seen you know, I've, I've seen some where it's hooded and shut going back here recently. And it's going to be, it's going to take us a while to kind of solve that.
0: Yeah. It's interesting, right? You want to get the leading edge on the ground, a little shaft lean in the full swing. And then, you know, then you got to get some of that out around the green. And um, yeah. I, I love what you said there. It's like, you know, speed up the ball <laughs> off the tee and slow it down around the greens and uh, seems simple, but you know, these guys are so good. I mean, we say Victor struggles chipping and pitching. We're we're talking struggles in relationship to PGA tour standards, right? right? I mean, he's going to, he's going to wax us all day, but you know, he's 168 on tour PGA tour, the best in the world. So, you know, these are, these are things like he can still get it done. Like you said, manage the leading edge. So I'm sure there's a get, get the right feelings of, you know, getting the face to rotate, using the bounce, and then B doing enough where he starts feeling like, it, it's confidence because that's a big change letting that club head pass a little bit versus that handle being a little more forward, especially with such a superior ball striker, you know, like Victor Hovland. So that's good stuff. I look forward to, um, to watching that he was 299 yards distance last year and looks like limited sample size. He's already up to like three Oh five this year in distance. So some of those speed changes are starting to, are starting to take effect. Let's talk speed here for the amateurs now. Um and you know, a lot a lot of times, Jeff, I, I've made this statement a lot. Like I find myself, I don't teach as much as I used to, but I, I find myself lengthening out more back swings than I'm shortening up, you know, and a lot of times amateurs come to me like I need to shorten my swing or this and that. And nine times out of 10, I'm I'm teaching people how to recruit better going back, use their body and build some length into the swing which can lead to more speed uh coming down and most of the time it leads to more accuracy too so when you look at the backswing for amateurs and you're trying to layer in some speed what are you know one or two things that you have found like this is kind of where i'm going more times than not as amateurs are showing up on your lesson t
1: yeah i've pretty much figured out that I really only go with one direction in the backswing um, as it relates to speed because it kind of cures everything. Mm. And so, um, you know, from a biomechanics perspective, if you're able to increase the tempo of anybody's backswing, is speed up the velocity of their backswing, there's a number of things that are going to happen. So, first of all, like you mentioned, the range of motion is going to increase. So someone who doesn't think they can make a very long backswing, they might just be sitting here doing rehearsals to <laughs> hands above the shoulder. You know, you've got a 60-year-old insurance salesman in front of you that doesn't play or practice very much, and they don't think they have very much mobility. You start speeding up their backswing almost to a chaotic standpoint. Yeah, And then here, here comes all this range of motion. Now the hips <laughs> are turning more, yeah. the knees are taking flex. The torso is turning more. The hand path is traveling further. So I go always go with ramping up the tempo of the backstroke because, A, it increases the range of motion, but, B, it also makes the pressure shifts and the movement of the the use of the ground way more dynamic. Um, It gets them moving their pressure to trail side and then velocity back to the lead side, which... Is going to cause little incremental responses throughout, throughout the stroke. So if I just start making a fast backswing, I'm going to become aware that, whoa, my pressure is moving to the right really, really quickly here. I'm going to have to be dynamic with how I change directions or I'm just going to sway way off of this golf ball and I won't ever get back to it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that, that's going to speed up that transition. So I, I compare, um, hitting drivers and hitting the ball far to a vertical jump. Um, most people can understand if I ask them, how would you jump very high? The first thing they do is they kind of put their hands up over their heads and they throw their arms down fast. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, well, why are you throwing your arms down fast? If you want to jump up fast yeah. and they're like, oh, well, it gives me momentum. And I'm like, yeah, that's the same thing as the backswing. I want you to make a backswing fast because it's going to give you momentum and transition back to the ball. And so they also understand that to jump their highest, they wouldn't just squat down to the low end of their range of motion and then push up really quickly. That's kind of the same thing as Hideki Matsuyama's backswing, going up here and just coming to a stop and then going. Now, can we jump off the ground doing that? Sure. Can Hideki hit the ball far doing that? Sure. Yeah. But I'm on the record that Hideki could hit it much further than he's hitting it. Mm-hmm he did not have that pause and stop at the top. So that's sort of my you know, that's I don't want to get, you know, lose the viewers here, but those are just a couple of things that I do. Number one, I speed up the tempo dramatically at the back swing. Mm-hmm. That increases the range of motion. The bottom line is the hand to hit it far, the hand path has to travel further around the clock. That's mm-hmm. where the speed gain is going to essentially come from. Um because when you think about when you think about hitting it further, and if your if you're viewers would just think of it in, in terms like this, the club moves because we apply force to the handle, period. It's the only reason it goes anywhere. We apply a force to it. To hit it further, you either have to increase the force or you have to increase the amount of time that you are applying that same force. So you can go get stronger. You can work out. You can do these things. You can change your mechanics to apply more force or you can just simply apply whatever force you have over a greater length of time.
0: Both of those equations are going to leave you with more club head speed. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And, and I'm going to bring out two terms here statements that, that you say a lot and that I've, I've stolen from you over the years. One of them is in the backswing, the unweighting of the lead foot. Right. And you're kind of referring to that now with the pressure moving into the right side and then yeah. back to the left. Did we did we get into a time in golf instruction where we were we were two left? We were hanging too left with yeah. with pressure um, in the backswing. Uh, and and now we're I think I'm talking industry, not you, just industry. Uh-huh. We're, we're 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 I think we're moving in are we're, we're kind of moving in the right direction here again. Like this this unweighting of the lead foot like you talk about, I think is beautiful. And how the pressure yeah. moving into the trail side. Back to the front side, not just speed, accuracy, a lot of value um, comes from this.
1: Yes, I I would agree. I think that the way golf instruction works typically is there's a problem that gets defined and everybody's Mm -hmm. like, let's fix that problem. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to build a swing model around fixing that problem. And so when I think of being a little too much on the left side or kind of hanging on the left side a little bit, I think of someone who uh is is more of a beginning golfer and cannot control the low point of where their club's hitting the ground. And so they may need some of that. They yeah. they may need they they probably don't need to start with a big giant, giant big dynamic pressure shift mm-hmm. moving off the ball because they're not skilled enough to to use to employ that technique, but if we're thinking about someone who hits the ball like trying to solve different problems right? right here so if we if a guy comes to you that needs to swing faster and hit it further he's not going to need the recipe for kind of hanging on his left side but if he comes to you and he, he's hitting every other ball fat and thin he's probably going to need to be a little bit more on his left side so I don't want to throw the you know the baby out with the bathwater yeah. on the, on the yeah. hanging on the left side stuff but I think that you're seeing more coaches shift their sort of their teaching philosophy towards a little bit more pressure shift and a little bit more unweighting of that left left side in the mm-hmm. backswing because everybody is you know now understands how relevant distance is. Yeah.
0: Let's let's go to the second term that I that you use a lot, which is rotational freedom. Okay, and mm-hmm. and, and the ability for the body to rotate and open up through impact as we as we talk about the downswing now. And let's let's put a couple. Prerequisites into this. Let's let's assume, Jeff, the face is in good shape. Face is square, maybe a little closed, um, at the top and coming down, like the club face is secure. The we've got adequate lead arm depth around us, and the shaft is is laying down, right? So we've kind of got some good things in place, which now set the stage to rotate and just kind of get the hell out of the way, right? I mean, that's like Just get out of the way and let this thing turn the corner. And when you start getting things in line, everything's kind of starting to get organized. And now you can take this player and start getting them to rotate. Where where are you going to go here? What are a couple of things that you can share that really help the player rotate and get out of the way? Let's take a second to talk about the guys and girls over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation of having the most cutting edge technology in their golf balls. That the industry has seen in quite some time. Their team in Buffalo, New York is changing the script of golf technology through the perimeter weighted designs, use of high density particles, and even a nano transitional layer in their latest creation, which offers players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course and extreme velocity off the tee. They already have their award winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, but the new Vero X1 is the highest performance ball to date with their full suit of golf balls. They are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com slash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast.
1: This is going to blow your mind, but okay. man, I honestly don't teach rotation. Okay. Um, I believe it, the, be- the you know, the beauty lies in the matchups. And so when you think about if you look at all of my players and you look at Patrick Rogers and his, you know, his rib cage or his thorax is rotated 60 degrees open at impact. Wow. I, I never taught him to do that. He does it because of the matchups in a swing. And then you look at an Aaron who's about 40 degrees open at impact. And then you look at Victor who's very open at impact. So these this is something that we're not working on but it's a byproduct of all of those things that you just mentioned before. So the golfer is innately going to respond in the downswing to the pitch of the shaft. Is it getting steep? Is it steep in transition or is it shallow in transition? That's going to largely determine how they will rotate, how they will tilt. Uh, the club faces orientation. Is it square? Is it closed? Is it open? So a golfer that has got a super hammered shut club face is not going to rotate. They're going to side bend and tilt through impact. So think of like tiger at impact where the shoulders are very vertical and rib cage isn't necessarily very open. Mm -hmm. That's what someone with a super shut face is going to do. Um, Someone with a wide open club face is going to stall rotation, kind of stand up and early extend so that they can straighten their arms and square the face then you've got the guy in the middle who's just got the face pretty tuned up. It's not egregiously one way or the other. He's going to have a beautiful combination of side bend and rotation. And that rotation is going to come because it's how he's going to essentially manage the low point of his swing arc. Mm. You know, based on the pitch of that shaft and the trajectory of that club head and the sweet spot, he's going to naturally kind of figure out how much rotation do I need to have? I think it's, I think it's dangerous um, for players who are like in this Instagram world of looking at all these golf swings and all these teaching concepts and being like, man, I'm going to go work on rotation today. And I'm going to get wide open mm-hmm. because they're going to probably hit it worse. They have probably naturally found already, if they're a pretty good player, how much they should be open and how much more they should be trying to do that.
0: Yeah. That's <clears throat> That's good stuff. I, I thought you might go that way. I wasn't sure, but I, I thought like as given the matchups that, okay, the player is going to figure out and facilitate the amount of rotation that they need to, to make things work to the low point and the bottom and all those things. So yeah, this getting open thing was like everywhere for a while, just get open. And, and it's like, man, there's has I been, mean, most people aren't in position to get open. And the more they try to get open, the worse they hit it, the more they clank it on the toe and all these things. So, um, yeah, yeah, I I thought you might go there as far as the rotational freedom. (laughs) I love creating that environment and the matchup. So the player can just rotate and get out of the way and be instinctive.
1: Now the rotational freedom part that lives with me basically in the backswing. I'm a huge proponent of zero restriction in the golf swing. Um, so that's 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 where I use that term most often. Okay. Um I want I want the hips turning. I want the torso turning. I want the hand path moving inward away from the golf ball and the back swing. Um for all of the reasons that we mentioned, the geometry of their swing is better, the hand path travels farther, they have the ability to hit the ball further. There's just a number of reasons why you know, I'm not sure how we ever got into the the world of I'm going to keep my back leg flexed. I'm not going to turn my hips. I'm going to twist my lower body versus my upper body. You know, I I see a lot of players that come to me with that. You know, that's the first thing I ask them is what are you trying to do here? And they're like, well, I'm trying to keep my lower body quiet. And I'm like, why? You know, like let's, let's, let's work through that problem first. And then, you know, we'll get into some other things, but I want everything moving, everything turning, everything being athletic, and, and
0: dynamic in a golf swing. I mean, I think that's what that's what the era was, right? Turn the upper, not the lower, um, and and you kind of push off a lot of lateral, a lot of side bend. You know, a lot of it, you know, pulling down, extension to lead wrist. Like that was that was an era of of um, golf instruction. You can see it too in the players, um, in in the yeah. way that uh, you know, even on the PGA Tour, that the, like the majority of them, you know we're doing that. And, and now I think, you know, we've kind of, we've kind of moved away from that. And I talked about, you know, that lead wrist extension coming down. And, and one of the things that you talk about a lot is, is the wrist angles. When I look at your players, I see that lead wrist. Okay. As we get into wrist angles, now that lead wrist getting to, to flexion, you know, and flexion is, you know, the kind of pushing out this way, extension of course would be the other way. We hear cupping a lot. Or flexion can be referred to as bowing. But I see your lead wrist getting to that flat, you know, and, and flexion early, maybe even at the top of the swing, pretty flat. N- extension doesn't seem to be part of the repertoire, you know, at any point in the <clears throat> swing. Talk about the, the benefits of lead wrist, flexion, right wrist, of course, would be bent back, extended, and getting your wrist angles. To those characteristics, the benefit? Yeah.
1: Um, again, uh, another topic that I think has been wildly overdone. Um, you know, if I measured all of my players in 3D, which I have extensively, I'm going to see their lead wrists in extension at address and pretty much move through extension through the course of the majority of the backswing because of what I teach. I teach hand path depth and I teach the shaft in the center of mass moving vertically in the backswing i don't want it way laid off and i don't want it way across the line i want hands to be in and the shaft to be up that's going to be a pretty neutral to slightly extended lead wrist alignment but it's going to create relationships near the top of the backswing where the center of mass is going to move back around behind the golfer pretty early Mm -hmm. and to be quite honest the, the the weight and the mass of the club is going to largely influence what this wrist joint is going to do in transition. And yes, it is going to move from, you know, they, I have players that go to the top that are a little bit extended to, to flat, to slightly bowed, And I think the majority of them are probably a little bit of extended at the top, but when they transition and start pouring on the speed and that club moves behind them, that wrist joint is, I mean, almost every single player yeah. that I've ever measured that I work with is in lead wrist flexion right after early transition and down here at this last parallel before the ground, it's massively inflection Yeah, and it's coming out at a very rapid rate by the time they get to impact. So, um, you know, we can debate how you want it to be going back, but by the time that thing changes direction, you can largely determine someone's skill level and handicap by what that lead risk is doing from <laughs> transition to about halfway down mm-hmm. in the downswing. And so why would we do that? Well, I mean, it's pretty simple. Flexing the wrist helps us manage the loft.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We are s- essentially leaning the shaft. We are essentially de-lofting the club, which is going to create more compression, lower spin loft, and a higher ball speed. So that's, that's why we do yeah. <laughs> that the yeah. ball up.
0: Yeah, it's like in 2D, when you're looking down the line, Jeff, and that lead wrist, Looks flat. The camera's in the right spot there in the hand line. It 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 could look flat, but it's probably slightly an extension. Would you agree from a two D perspective? Yes.
1: Yeah. So if you look at Patrick Rogers for a second, nobody would say he's got a cupped wrist, mm-hmm. but his his grip is very strong. He's in about thirty degrees of extension at address. At the top of his backswing, he's in about ten degrees of extension, but his yep. wrist kind of looks flat.
0: Right. Yeah. So I'm,
1: good example. I'm telling you about. By the time he gets down here at P6, he's in like 35 degrees of flexion. So he's putting that joint through a huge range of motion from top of back swing to down here. And um, that that movement alone, because he has the strong grip and he has a lot of flexion, really gets the face into a closed, strong position.
0: And that's the primary reason why he has so much right side bend in his golf swing. Mm -hmm. Sign me up. I, want to, I You know, it's funny, like I go back, people ask, well, if you had to do it all over, as if you had to go back and play again, and just be young, what would you do different? And I, I, for me, I would have turned more with freedom going back, I certainly didn't turn my lower body enough. And you can see it in my swing when I post them now, and I'm always working on it. And I and I would swear yeah. I'm turning my hips 50 degrees. And I mean, my right knee, like barely budges. It's like, God, you gotta be kidding me. That's number yeah. one so I could hit it harder. And, and two, I would have taken the lead wrist into flexion much sooner. I carry it down like fill a little bit. And then, you know, I can't get out of the way as much as I should and have to let the shaft out a bit of a higher handle than I would like. And, you know, so yeah. it's like, <clears throat> like those are the two things. If I had to go back, let me crank my hips going back freedom and let me get to flexion earlier. And then just let me figure it out from there.
1: Tell you what, you picked two pretty good ones uh <laughs> right there. My my saying is the higher the handicap, the earlier I put the lead wrist inflection. There you go. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So if you show up on my lesson tee slicing the ball, 30 minutes later, you will not be slicing the ball. Yeah. yeah. I can guarantee you that. So um and, and that's gonna make the game more enjoyable for that yeah. for that level player.
0: I mean, if they just did those two things, right? Like, I mean, if they just learned how to turn ter- turn with some rotational freedom and then just kind of manage the wrist angles to some degree in transition. I mean, gosh, like come, come see me in like two months and let's see where we're at. Yeah. I mean, I get asked all the time, like what's, you know, what are the fun, who do you enjoy teaching the
1: most? Right. And teaching high handicappers the most fun because you can go the farthest in one lesson with yeah. them. You know, right. I can, li- I literally put 30 yards on a high handicapper seven iron before. Mm-hmm. And they're like, how did I just hit a seven iron 30 yards further? And I'm like, well, it's because your wrist is not cupped and you don't have 50 degrees of loft on your seven iron anymore.
0: Yeah. It's now a seven iron instead of a sandwich. wedge. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. Let me ask you, uh, let me ask you about one more of your players and I'll let you go. I know you got a, a busy day. Jeff Smith here, um, teaches out at TPC Summerlin. One of the top teachers in uh, golf digest, top 50 works with Victor Hovland, who we talked about earlier, Patrick Rogers, and then also, um, Aaron wise. I want to ask you Aaron. Aaron, you know, he came out like two eight, 2018. He 2018 had he had, I think he had a T second at Wells Fargo. And then he won AT&T last year, 18 events, um, had a top three, two top tens. When you sit down with Aaron at the end of this year, and as you guys, you guys are looking ahead to next year, what was that conversation like, and where are the um where are kind of the goals with Aaron expectations levels for this year?
1: yeah um great, great question. you know Aaron came out as a rookie and just kind of lit it up, which you know I kind of expected him to do. He's a great player, and he's mm-hmm. won at every single level, every level of golf he's ever played he's won at, so he's a winner, that's what he does. You get him anywhere near the top of the leaderboard, and he just he just goes. He does, he finishes. So, um, great rookie season. That kind of changed things for him um, from a planning perspective because here you you go into your rookie season playing whatever starts you get. You know you're not sure your status and what field you're going to get into, and boom, you win and you're in. You know you're off to the races, and you it sets up this sophomore season to where you're like. Okay, now I'm in all the majors, I'm in all the WGCs. So, that's eight tournaments there. How else do I build a schedule? And so in I feel like we made some mistakes in that sophomore season of, of putting together a schedule that, you know, we weren't necessarily playing golf courses that suited his game or his style. We were just kind of playing the top events. Mm. And, you know, it 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 kind of struggled a little bit, you know, instead of playing courses that were suited to him, uh, that he had had experience on and that had played well along Now we're playing all these new courses for the first time, the best fields, the toughest fields. And then, you know, he got into a situation where he was putting very, very poorly. What's amazing is like last season, he, he had obviously the worst you know season of his young career, but he actually got better from a ball striking perspective than he's ever been. Um, I think he led the tour in greens and regulation last year, which is unbelievable considering we didn't make the playoffs. Mm. And so, um, you know, he worked really, really hard on his golf swing last year and has made some just incredible, incredible improvements. And I, you know, when he turned pro, he's like, I'm just not a good iron player. I'm a, I'm a good driver of the ball. I got a good short game. I can putt really well. I'm smart. I don't give shots away, but I can't hit my irons like these guys do. I'm not, I'm not a surgical. I can't control my distances. I can't control flight as good as these guys do. I need to, I need to keep, I need to change my golf swing in an effort to do that. And I, and I agreed with him, you know, his technique was one to where he using a lot of verticals, jumping off the ground, kind of throwing it at the bottom, super high ball hitter, mm-hmm. very shallow angle of attack. And when you look at the best iron player in the world, it's just not what you see. You see them hitting a bit more down on it. You see them with a bit more shaft lean. um, we got in a situation where he became pretty good friends with Brooks and we're playing practice rounds at majors and, and stuff and watching Brooks hit iron shots out of the rough, getting them to the green and we're, we're over here. We can't hit them 50 yards out of the rough because the attack angle's too shallow. Mm-hmm. And so kind of processed all that. And we put together a plan, you know, sort of a blueprint of what he wanted his, his golf swing to be and how he was going to to work towards becoming a better iron player. And he, and he did that and he didn't get a lot of reward last year for all the work that he put in because he putted so, so miserably yeah. poor. And that led us going down a road of tinkering every week, changing putters, trying all these different things. It just kind of spiraled to where, you know, he was left with very little confidence, you know, toward the end of that last season. And so, he had a great plan for the offseason after that. Um, went back to some basics, uh, went back to a, a very old putter that he had a lot of success with, kind of stripped away all the thought process and just kind of went back to what, you know, his foundations are in his putting. And, you know, you know, we saw it right away late, late fall. Um, soon as the, uh, fall series began, he was putting well again. And naturally we start matching up some of the good ball striking that he's doing now with his iron play. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, with solid putting and just no question you know I, I think he finished 11th in Houston Yep, <laughs> um, and bang another another uh, it kind of started in in, uh, in uh, Reno Barracuda I don't know if you remember that tournament but he ran out of holes on Sunday or he would have won the golf tournament he shot like 9 under or something like that yeah. and shot straight up the leaderboard he, I thought he was going to win the tournament because he came starting Sunday he wasn't even in the hunt and then the next thing you know he's birdieing every single hole on the, on the golf course. And if he'd had a few more holes, he might've won Reno, but it kind of all started there. The, the, the ball striking and the putting and it's kind of carried all through the fall series. So to answer your question, I mean, I have very high expectations of, of, of Aaron. He's a world-class player in, in every part of his game. He literally has no, no weaknesses in his game. When his putting is, when his putting is on, he can win any
0: tournament on any golf course. Yeah, he was <clears throat> see seventeenth at Sanderson Farms. Finished uh, positive three putting that week. Yeah. Uh, Twenty six at Bermuda doesn't they didn't have shot length that week, um, but I think he was probably positive there. Lem that Houston gained two and a half putting that week as well. So, um, oops, there we go. Gotcha. Someone was trying to call me right in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> but uh 11th at Houston and uh was positive 2.5 there so yeah. so he's end of the year you can see it he's starting to to trend upward i i i'm i'm a fan of Aaron Wise i hope he um can have a have a good season um into this year it, it's going to be i'll tell you golf is there's so many damn good players it's crazy like i mean these guys are so good and there's so many of them now And, uh, it's just going to be fun to watch. There's so many little storylines, you know, with DJ kind of getting back to that number one, where's Rory's head at, um, ROM switches equipment, number two player in the world. Um, you know, all the equipment's great, albeit, but it's going to be different. Uh, you know, and then you got these young guns and Victor's got two wins. Wolf's playing good. Morikawa wins a major. I mean, it's just, what's Tiger going to do? Yeah. It's just, it's going to be fun (laughs) to watch this year. I really, um. I'm looking forward to it. And, um, we'll be, uh, pulling for you and, uh, and your players. I know you'll be hitting the road soon. Jeff Smith, you can follow him at radar golf pro Jeff, tell my audience about course Kings and where they can find that as well.
1: Yeah. So, um, it's CourseKings.com, And, um, uh, the, the creation that, that was a thought of mine to come up with. I got so many requests for like online lessons and distance coaching several years ago. And I just, I couldn't find the time to to like get to, to everything and to everybody. So it was just like, How do I create a resource for people to go online? There's a there's a monthly membership to it. And you know, I'll put all this information on there. Everything that we're talking about in this podcast is literally on this on this website and in a pretty organized fashion. And you know, I've got that that's that was my initial launch. You know, strategy or thought in my mind. And, and then I got to thinking, who the hell wants to hear me talk about every part of the game over and over and over? Let me go out and find some young, up-and-coming coaches that have great information that aren't afraid to, like, turn the camera on. And I'll bring them into the yep. equation as well and kind of give them a, a platform to share their information and build their audiences. So that's one thing that I, that I do. I'm always looking for great young coaches that want to join the team and come on and put their information out there and grow their brand and grow their audience and, and give them opportunities. But it's, you know, it's basically a, a resource for, you know, for players and believe it or not, coaches, we probably have over 150 coaches mm-hmm. as, as members on the site. So um, it's, it's, it's been cool to see and, and evolve. And we're actually doing some really cool things for, for 2021. Um A lot of the members have requested to kind of see me in action like it's great to hear the information and see a video on how to shallow the club but let's see you do it Mm. and so that's what we're going to try to bring in 2021 is more of a live uh, setting of me on the range teaching lessons you know showing how I'm you know I'm doing these things and and uh, I think it's going to be a pretty awesome product for people to see.
0: Yeah, it's good stuff. I'm a member. I, I think it's, you know, I love it. All the videos that are out there. It's it's well put together. It's very organized. There's an order to it. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's great information. And I can't uh, thank you enough, Jeff, for coming on here and joining me here on the podcast. And, um, well, let's get a win this week in Hawaii with uh, Victor. Make it number three. And um, that'll be off to that. You guys have beat off to a, a really, really good start if that was the case. So Jeff, have a great day and uh, we'll do it again later on this year. Hopefully.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Travis. Always good to see you. Okay, man.